And so basically he's going up there, he takes the twelve aside, he kind of lays out for them exactly what's going to happen and what's going to take place, and then he says, I'm going to be raised to life. So maybe just at the surface, it doesn't look like maybe there's a lot there to maybe take away, especially in a Sunday morning in 2013. And that's actually what I thought when I first started. I'm like, how am I going to use this one today, Lord? You know, what is this all about? And so sometimes you feel like that when you read the Bible. Um, but when you dig a little bit deeper, I found a few things that I think will help us out. And I like the passage in particular because it gives a unique uh, view and insight into the heart of Jesus. I like to be able to see and notice the heart of Jesus. Because it's the same heart of God. Because here's a difficulty I have. Maybe you have the same difficulty. Is that I many times try and take my heart and sort of look at God through that lens. And I know that I have my up days, I have my down days, I know that I'm selfish, I know that sometimes I don't say exactly what I mean, I know that a lot of times I come up short with maybe things that I commit to, and it would make it even worse if maybe I had people in my life, maybe even religious figures, that also represented or enhanced that same message, it could make it very difficult to understand the heart of Jesus or the heart of God. And so, when I get into the Word and I read the Bible and I see what the heart of God and the heart of Jesus is actually like, I get encouraged and I get strengthened and I find myself having to tell myself, Jared, you know, or flesh, No, that's not right. Don't think that way about that. That's not it. And so in this passage, we're actually going to get a little bit of a snapshot into the heart of God and the heart of Jesus towards us, which I think is huge. That helps so much knowing that I have this loving, gracious Father in Heaven who's not looking to kick me in the pants all the time or make things as difficult as possible. It's very easy for me to think that way. You know, I teach in school, you know, it's all reward-based. You know, you do well, you work hard, you get your A. You know, we grow up that way. You do well at work, hopefully it's at a good job. You do well at work, you get rewarded for that, hopefully somebody else doesn't. Right? And that's just kind of the way we go, where we work and we get rewarded. It's not exactly how it goes in the kingdom. And there's a lot of grace that covers everything that we do. And that's really encouraging and really freeing. Not so that it just gives me a license to do whatever I want and then God still loves me. But it comes with an understanding of how much, man, He does love me. As long as I'm trying to put Him first. That changes everything. Changes everything. So we're going to look actually at some of that. You might not even see that there. and I promise I'm not making it up. Um, But we're going to take away three observations from this morning. It won't be long. It'll be kind of short. Um, Pascal buns have been longer for some reason. I'm not sure why. But this message is intended really not to be as long as some of those other ones. But I want to make sure that we at least hit kind of the core issues. And let me bring uh, all of us to where we're at currently. So we just finished up in Matthew 20 where basically this rich young guy comes up to Jesus and... um, 
He says, you know, he asked the key question. What do I have to do to get eternal life? That's the big question. And he's asking the right person. He's asking Jesus. And so for this guy, his particular issue was not that he was rich. It was that he loved being rich. And he loved being rich more than anything else. It's okay to have money, to have possessions. But when they possess us, that's the issue. So for this particular guy, Jesus tells him, well, you know, you've been keeping you know, the law, that's great. He said, go sell everything. Because for him, the possessions possessed him. And so Jesus knew that. And he's like, well, if he's okay with giving that stuff away, then I know that I have him. And then that rich young guy went away sad. We don't know how he responded. Maybe he went away sad because he couldn't do it, or maybe he went away sad because he did do it, or maybe he's still thinking about it. You know, don't know. But he went away sad. And so then the disciples there, they saw all this take place. They saw all of this happen. And Jesus tells them, he says, you know what? For a rich person, it's very difficult for them to enter the kingdom of heaven. In fact, it's easier for them to go, for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Which is basically impossible. And so the disciples are like, but this guy's rich, he has influence, he has power, he's in the right circle, he knows the right people, like, this is an important guy. And Jesus is saying, yeah, but that's not what makes it into heaven. That's not it. I know that's the way our world works, and that's the way this works. You know, I'd feel, you know, maybe more proud about myself if I had more letters after my name, and there's a lot more education, and maybe we can boast in that and feel good about it. Um... And that's good, you know, to be educated, but to have ourselves wrapped up in that completely is not a good thing. And uh, Jesus says, you know, that's not the way it works. He said, you know, in heaven, you know, the first are going to be last, the last are going to be first. And then what Jesus tries to do is he tries to illustrate for them that, you know, the letters after the name, the right crowd, the influence, isn't what matters. What really matters is what's going on on the inside. And then he tells them this parable of the vineyard, that we talked about last time we were here. So Nate was here last week. And then before Nate we talked about the parable of the vineyard. And that parable of the vineyard basically said, Hey listen, you could get saved or commit your life to Christ when you're 12 years old, 13 years old, early in life. Or you could commit your life to Christ when you're 50, 60, last breath. Whenever you do, and it is sincere in that moment, you're going to be in heaven. That's the way that that works. And that is not to say, right, Jesus wasn't trying to say, well, hey, listen, put off being a Christian for as long as you can and then just try and, like, check in at the end. That's not the idea. Because the whole time, right, he knows our hearts. And so after he talks about all this stuff, now he's making the final trek into Jerusalem. He's making the final trek and like we just said, like we said a little while ago, this is right before, really, the end for Jesus. Although it's really going to be the start of a new beginning. So now, verse 17, right, says, Now as he was going up, so now they're going there, he takes the twelve aside, and he says to them, We're going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They're going to condemn him to death, Turn him over to the Gentiles to be mocked, flogged, and crucified. On the third day, he's going to be raised to life. 
Three observations. Here is going to be our first one. The first observation, right? Because here's the question I'm trying to get out these observations. What we take away from the passage. So we read that, and so then my immediate thought is, it's 2013, August 11. If Jesus is predicting his death for the third time, this is even the first time, this is his third time. Jesus predicting his death for the third time, how could that possibly help me? I mean, really. Like, I, I got to cut the grass today. I got to do laundry. We've got to do something fun with Jaron today. Got to get some good family time in. So how does Jesus' third prediction of his death really play into my life? Well, I think three ways it can. Here's the first way. First observation is, he leads the way, referring to Jesus. Jesus leads the way. Let me tell you what I am talking about. Take a look at Mark chapter uh, 10 here. I have it on the slide. So take, it's the same account that we're reading, but I like this passage a little bit better because it gives us some different insight. So take a look. Mark chapter 10, verse 32-34. says they are on their way up to Jerusalem. With Who's leading the way? Jesus. Yeah, say Jesus. Jesus. Jesus, yep. And he's leading the way. Say leading. Leading. So Jesus leading the way. And the disciples were astonished. Say astonished. <laughs> While those who followed were afraid. Say afraid. afraid. There's a mix of emotions going on here. Like what is happening? It says again he took the twelve aside. This is like Matthew's interpretation. Took the twelve aside and told them what was going to happen to him. He says we're going up to Jerusalem. And the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles, who will mock him, spit on him, flog him, and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. So here's the first observation that I really like about this passage. Jesus, knowing what's coming right down the pipe, he knows what's, ha- what's about to go down. He knows, number one, he's going to be betrayed. He knows that he's going to be falsely accused. Great judicial system they have, kind of like ours. Then, he knows that he's going to be ultimately killed. And then he knows he's going to rise again. And you've got to think about the situation. Okay, think about this situation. So Jesus, hanging out with the twelve... He's talking to them. Who are the twelve, right? Matthew, right? Luke is in there. Mark is in there. John, James. You know, all these guys are there. Judas. He's talking to these guys. He knows that when he's on the cross, there's only going to be two of them waiting at the cross when he's actually dying there. Everybody else deserts him. He knows that as he's saying it. And he also knows that Judas, I wonder if he's making eye contact with Judas, like betrayed, you know. He knows what these guys are going to do. If that was me, and I'm having this conversation with the twelve, I'd probably tell them exactly what was going to happen. Say, you think you're following me. You think you're on my team. You think you, you know, I'm your uh, Messiah. 
No way. You're going to desert me when it counts the most. That's how much I can't count. I'd probably give him a guilt trip, honestly. <laughs> really would. And I would, I don't know how much I'd manipulate it, but I would definitely give him a guilt trip because in the back of my mind, I know what's laying in store. And I think we probably all know when something is laying in front of us so important and we need somebody to help us out and to like lean in there with us. That's huge to have that help and support. And when they leave our side, it's devastating. It's crushing. So he's saying this to these guys for the third time, repeating to them. Didn't connect the first couple of times. Doesn't even totally connect this time. So he has this conversation. And then he's Jesus. He's knowing what's going to happen, that they're going to leave him. And what does he do? He just goes right out in front of them and just leads the way towards what he has to do to get done. He's not like crawling, getting distracted here, getting distracted there, wasting time. He knows what God's plan is, what God's will is, and he even knows what's going to happen in the process, which many times we don't. Because if I knew that part, I don't know if I'd be so eager to get there. I could delay in like Galilee for a while or like some other town and just hang out. But he's going right to Jerusalem, leading the way. And so that's why, if we go back to that Mark passage, that's why you have this mix of emotions going on. It says, the disciples were astonished. What? He just told us what's going to happen. How is he just like marching on, just going for it? And then, it says, well, those who followed were afraid. Well, if that's what's in store for our Messiah, like, what's going to happen to us? I left everything. I followed this man. We've been living with him for three years. What's going to happen to us? So there's like this whole mix of emotions going on there. And it's interesting that they are astonished and amazed by how focused Jesus was on what God had for him. This is when they were amazed by Jesus. Just astonished by it. Knowing what, they, what was lying ahead for him. And he was fanatical and single-minded focus about what God had for him. Because here's the awesome news about that, right? So 2013. I don't know what lies ahead of me for today. Neither do you. And I don't know what this week's going to be like. I know last week was rough and this next week might be even rougher. We're going to see what happens. But I do know that Jesus, God himself, has already gone before me and has already worked it out. And according to the word, he's worked it out for my favor, my blessing. Doesn't mean I might necessarily, I might not like how he's going to work out his favor for me, my blessing. Doesn't mean it's going to feel good or I'm going to enjoy it. But his word promises that in all things, all things, God works for the good. He defines the good. That's the tough part. He'll work for the good of Jared. He'll work for the good of Julie. For those who love him. You put your name in there. That's good news for me. Tonight he's gone 
ahead. Really good. It's so encouraging to know that God has gone before Jaron and set up his life for him. We're praying for his wife, you know, right now. Working on her right now. You know, she's getting the God whammy right now from mom and dad. And he's going to go before us. He's going to do that because he's promised to be faithful to those that trust in him. He will answer those prayers. I know that he will. Psalm 77 has a very cool passage here that I like a lot. Psalm 77 says, Your way, I can see here better, Your way was in the sea, your path in the great waters. Talking about uh, how God was working in the Red Sea when he was taking uh, all the Israelites out of Egypt during the Exodus. Right? And he's leaving them. So the psalmist here, I don't know if it was David. I don't think it was. Uh, who penned this one because other people wrote psalms besides David. But they're referring back to that experience of the Exodus. So your way was in this sea, your path in the great waters, and your footsteps were not known. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. And I love the fact that it says you led your people, your footsteps were there. You've gone before us, but we just didn't know it yet. I really like that. I like the fact that he's gone before us. And I like the fact that no matter what lays in front of me, it's already passed through his fingers. Sometimes that makes me actually more mad. I'm like, you saw this coming and you still let it happen. Sometimes it makes me more mad. God, what are you doing? Obviously, I cannot handle any more right now. Can you not see this? Nobody's ever been there? You guys can't relate? Come on. Yes, you can relate. We're human, right? This is what we do. We get frustrated. We're selfish. That's what happens. But then I need to get around, right, my church family. I need to get myself in the Word. I need to get myself in prayer to give me back the perspective that is needed that I can so easily lose that God has gone before me and He is working it out for my good. In the end, it will benefit me and I can pretty much guarantee you He is working on something that we can't even imagine or conjure up. That's the truth of the matter. But it takes faith to believe that. And it's difficult for us because where we live and what we're around most of the times, you know, every day, we're not around things that really build up that message to increase that faith. It's very difficult. That's why the church and our church family is so important. So important. So that's the first observation. He leads the way. It's encouraging and good news. Here's the second observation for 2013, right today, August 11. He wants to speak privately with us. He wants to speak privately with us. So in that passage, in Matthew and in Mark, it says that he took the twelve aside and he said to them, right? And then he fills them in. The problem today is that Jesus like isn't with me. He can't grab me by the shirt, you know, and like pull me off to the side. Say, hey, listen got to tell you what's coming up. Like, something's coming up. This is important. You need to know about this. Watch out for this. Watch out for that. Instead, is God uses the Holy Spirit to speak to us and to talk to us. 
So now this is where I lose a lot of my friends. Okay? This is where I lose a lot of my coworkers. And God speaks to you, you know, like, are you sure about that? You know, God speaks to you. Yes, I believe that he does. Really, you know, I think that's just your conscience or it's maybe just what you thought. That's a difficult one, right? That's a difficult one. But it does say in the Word, and it makes it clear throughout the Word, that God speaks to his people. Make no mistake about it. You can read through any place in here in this book, and people who God has used, and who, uh, you know, they've had a relationship with him, he has spoken to them. It might have been through donkeys. He might have spoken to them through a donkey. He might have spoken to them through other people. He might have spoken to them through uh, you know, a guy getting swallowed up by a whale. He could use anything and everything to speak through someone. It could not even be, quote-unquote, a Christian thing or a Christian person. That's when it like, stings a lot. When it's a, quote-unquote, secular person that doesn't even believe or really know about God, but they just hit you with a zinger. Oh, Right. Dang. Got to be open to that. He's looking to speak privately with us. And that's encouraging to me because that shows me a little bit about God's heart. Like He actually wants to take me aside, talk with me, fill me in. That's what Jesus wanted to do with the apostles. He wanted to take them aside, fill them in with what's going to happen next. Because He cared about them. He knew it was about to get really rough for them really rough, really difficult. They were going to have more questions than answers. And Jesus wanted to make it a point where he took them inside and said, guys, listen, this is what we got to do. Reminds me like, you know, when uh, before coaching games and stuff and, um, you know, when we have, you know, important moments during practice or before big games, you know, let's pull my group aside and say, guys, it's going to be a tough one here. We've been going over this, been going over that. They're going to try and hit us here, hit us there. And I, you know, and, and you could tell when it's the important moments, you know, I got all the little eyeballs, you know, looking at me. And, you know, it's our team moment right there. We're getting on the same page together, getting a reality check. Josh has been doing some football camps uh, this past week. And, you know, the football team uh, that he's on, it's a really successful, like really good football team in the state. I mean, their team, their high school team has won, I want to say, three state championships in a row right now. So the way they do things is just different than most teams. It's been successful. And uh, he's been doing some football practices this week, and we've been talking and stuff. And uh, he's been doing some camps where they go to colleges and different things, and they get together, um, and they work on drills and do different things. He had one, I think, at Southern, Wesleyan, different places. But his team, when they show up, the guys from, from his team, they get there an hour early, and they break off into like, different groups as far as you know, what their specialties are, on the line or running or whatever. And they're just talking strategy, getting on the same page. And so God wants to do that with us. He's like, listen, I got this plan mapped out. There's a certain way I want to get there. There's certain things that I'm working on. I want you to be in this with me. I want to use you in this way. I want to teach you to pray this way. I want to show you what to pray for. I want to... And he wants to get us on the same page. He wants to speak privately with us. But my issue, and maybe your issue sometimes, is, man, we just get distracted and we get busy. We don't have the advantage of Jesus maybe dragging us by the cloak or whatever they had on. 
and cornering us. See, now it's up to me. Will I actually make some time for God to speak privately with me? Or will I just make time to give God a laundry list for when I'm upset or not happy with Him? Ouch. That's too easy to do. I'll, make God, I'll give God that time now because stuff is falling apart. No, man, there's like been a whole plan in place from the beginning where like He loves us and He's trying to use us and work through us. John 16, verse 13. A little bit more proof that God speaks through us. It says, However, when He, the Spirit of truth, that's the Holy Spirit, has come, He will guide you into all truth, for He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will tell you things to come. It says, whatever He hears, He will what? Speak. Speak. So in order for the Holy Spirit, part of God to be here, Jesus had to leave. He had to leave. He had to go. So he told them. He said, guys, listen, I got to go. I got to go. I got to go to heaven. I got to sit next to my Father. And that's where he is. And right now among us, when we pray and we talk to God, we're talking to the Holy Spirit that's here. And that Spirit only testifies and talks of things that God has already said and spoken. And it says that He's going to speak to us. Now, the skill, the very important skill we need to possess is how to discern whether it's my imagination or whether it's God really speaking to me. That's the one that takes some time to figure out. And there's no shortcut. There's no shortcut. We've got to do the hard work. The hard work being just spending more time alone with them and getting to figure out, is this from God? Am I, is, this, is this God like speaking to me or am I just thinking whatever? And it takes time. It is a skill. It does not come very naturally. Some of it is easy. Like, if God is moving somebody to memorize some scripture... People just don't want to do that on their own, okay? So that, that's like from God. He's trying to speak to you. Hey, listen, I want to build you up in my word. I want to make sure you understand my promises. I want to make sure you understand what I'm saying. But sometimes it's not so easy to understand. And so we need to be able to really discern and figure out, is this me just convincing myself of something? Or is this really God? And I wish I had like, you just do this. But there isn't one of those. There isn't one of those. It's called faithfully just living it out. And so the million dollar question so many times is, what's God's will for my life? And it's a good question. um, Because at least we're caring about what God's will is. But, the only way you really figure out God's will for me later is by being obedient to Him right now. Did you catch that? Right, the only way we figure out God's will for us later is by being obedient to Him right now in the moment, in the next five seconds. How can I just surrender to Christ? What's He moving me to do? What's He asking me to do? Am I going to do it or am I not? That's it right there. And if we just live according really to that really kind of simple principle, 
we'll just walk right into His will. There's not, it's not like this big sort of thing we have to figure out. And, oh, I guess, am I going to guess it right or guess it wrong? Am I going to take the wrong path? Am I going to now suffer because of it? Oh, no, no, no. It's not really like that. We just surrender to Him right here, right now. And when it comes down to questionable items, that might be a big decision. That's when we get on our phones, or you know, that's when we uh, you know go to somebody's house, Christian brother, sister, we know and respect. Hey, I'm struggling with this decision or thinking about this. You got any input? Am I out of my mind? Am I losing my mind? Is this even from God? It's a conversation we should be having, you know, with each other and with godly people on a regular basis, because it's sharpening each other. Number one. It's building family, you know, number two. But number three, it's helping us better uh, understand God and how He's speaking. It's very important. It's very important. Because He wants to give us the game plan. He wants to speak with us privately. And He's speaking and saying something. question is, what is He saying? What is He saying? So that's observation number two. So the first one was He leads the way. Second one was He wants to speak privately with us. Third observation, last final one here. He wants to keep the main thing, the main thing. Jesus wants to keep the main thing, the main thing. The whole point of this third conversation was that he wanted to give them a reality check. Sometimes we need a good reality check. And, uh, and they needed it. Jesus knew that a roller coaster of events is about to happen. Because right from this conversation, Jesus is going to be entering Jerusalem soon. And he's going to be the most popular guy in the town. In fact, they're going to roll out the Escalade. No, the pony, the little pony. They're going to get on top of that pony. They're going to lay down their coats in the street. They're going to get their palms. Palm Sunday. Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna in the highest. And this guy is just, man, they're loving him. And then a week later, the same crowd, crucify him. Crucify. The, the guy can't even get out you know, all his words and they already have their verdict in. Crucify him, crucify him. Jesus knows that awaits for him. And he also knows that those closest to him is going to be going through that too. So he wants to give him a reality check. Hey, listen, this is what I came here to do. The bonus question is, you know, what, why did Jesus have to die? He had to die because that was his mission. That's what he was called to do. At the end of the day, sin has to be paid for. Biblically, you know, that's what it says. Sin's got to be paid for. And the only way it's paid for perfectly is with perfect blood. So in the Old Testament, right, they have sacrificed maybe some animals, you know, some pigeons, um, Bulls, calves, you know, whatever, according to the sin and what it was. And, and it was good in a sense that they were doing what God requested them to do. Um, and there's just a huge law, uh, a ton of laws. And um, whatever you did, you'd sacrifice the appropriate thing. And so that was you showing faith. You would grab your pigeons, sacrifice them for what you did. God, I am sorry. Boom, then, you know, you would leave. And it was just a regular occurrence. And so it was good because it showed faith. But the animal's blood never gets rid of any sin. Not perfectly. So that's why Jesus had to come. Because he was perfect. 
If you can wrap your mind around that one, I mean, perfect. Wow. So he was perfect. And that had to be the blood. That was the goal. So he's giving him a reality check. Because during this roller coaster, here's the important part. During this roller coaster of events that's going to happen, he wants to be sure that their peace of mind is tied to his word and not to their circumstances. He wants to be sure that their peace of mind is not is tied to his word and not to their circumstances. And that's what he wants from us 2013. Jared, are you going to get dragged down, beat up by what you see and by what you're experiencing? Or are you going to hold fast to what I say? That's a daily struggle for me. I don't know about you, but that, that could be a daily struggle. Some days I'm like, yeah, I'm with you. I got it. We're on this thing. And other days I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. Do I have like a whole bunch of sin in my life that's bringing this my way? Not necessarily. I could be right in the middle where God wants me. Because he wants to make sure that no matter what happens, I'm getting my security and my peace of mind from his word. In the Bible, over a hundred plus times, the phrase, fear not, is in there. It's significant. Some Bible teachers and pastors say there's 365 of them. You won't really find 365. I get loose references, I guess you could get there. But the idea is that so that there's one for every day of the year. But God in His Word, when you read through it, you know, I'm reading through Psalms right now in my private time. You know, the way I do, you know, devotional and quiet times is I like to go, you know, I can just kind of write through the Bible. That's not for everybody. I understand that. Julie's like, I don't know how you do that. You know, but just, you know, for me it works. Um, there's other, you know, Bible plans where you can, you know, read, you know, maybe one from the New Testament. Um, you know, maybe, you know, read a prophet. And there's all these different ones out there. Just look online. Find any Bible plan. But the key is just being in the Word. So I'm going through, uh, you know, Psalms right now. And man, do not be afraid. Do not get ex- discouraged. You are my refuge. You are my rock. I can't tell you how many times those phrases come up. It's unbelievable. Because they're just like me. They're just like us. For whatever reason, we just like can lose focus of that. And I would rather find refuge in my efforts, in my being strong, in my resources, maybe being clever, maybe being smart. I'd rather find it in anywhere else other than God, honestly, a lot of times. Because then I can rely on myself. It's a little harder to rely on God. It's a little humbling. So, three observations. He leads the way. He wants to speak privately with us. He wants to keep the main thing the main thing. And so what could we do? You know, application maybe this week, today. Want to find out God's will? Let's do it in the next five seconds. Maybe what's one thing we could, some things we could think about? Here's number one. So let's, right, follow His lead. Let's just let Him take the lead. Let's let the Holy Spirit, like, just get out there and just take the lead. At some point, I just got to be okay and expect to be uncomfortable. As a Christian, that just has to be part of the ball. My mindset as a Christian just has to be, all right, at some point, I'm going to be throwing something uncomfortable that I don't necessarily like, that I wouldn't maybe particularly choose on my own to do. Does that really matter? 
That has to be the mindset of the Christian. Because the faith is involved there. We're just trusting that. He knows what he's doing. More than I do and more than how I feel. How about application number two? Give him the time. He wants to get me alone privately. Question is, will I do it? You know, it's tougher now. I know I've got Jaren. We've got number two on the way. You know, you know. You have seven kids. There's still going to be a way to make time. I think that God would know if I had ten kids, He'd probably be able to figure out a way so I can get at least some kind of time with them. There'd be something. You might have to get creative about it. I, I know I got to get creative, you know, sometimes about it. But it's worth it. Because he wants to speak privately with you. He wants to put you on the same page with where he's working in and around your lives. In and around my life. He's at work. And we want to fall right in line with that. And then the third application. We need our perspective to get renewed. Because sometimes we can get caught up with other silly things. Where the main thing is the main thing. Here's the main thing, right? There's heaven. There's hell. Some people know Jesus. Some people don't. Some people are going to be in hell, according to the Bible, like a lot of people. And God wants to work through us to save them. He's looking to refine our lives, make it more like Christ, but also looking for us to win souls and save people. That's the main thing. That's huge. We have to walk around with the consciousness of that. Like It's not just for the missionaries or the pastors. We're all playing a role in this. To be soul winners. To lead people to Christ. It's amazing that God would even do that and choose to use us. And I could you know, give you the laundry list, as like I'm sure you could, the laundry list of how many inadequacies you have and how not perfect you are. But you know what? It doesn't matter what you can do. It matters what He can do question is, are we going to respond? If there's like one message, probably a lot more, but all I can think of right now, if there's one good message for the Western church, right, America, you know, us, that would hit home, it would be, you know what? Conviction is not the ultimate goal for the Christian obedience is. I think I know so many people, friends. I've seen it. I've been around it. I've done it myself. Where I come to church, where I come to retreats, where I listen to pastors on the radio, or hear some worship songs, like, wow, it's like, that's really true. You know? I'll hear these things, and these truths will get communicated to me, and I just soak it right up, and I'm like, yeah, it's good. Wow. And I'm convicted and it's like, okay, that's it. God did His work. No! Like, I'm supposed to respond. Something should change in response to the conviction. That's the goal for us, is change. If there was never any change that came out of the conviction, I'm really just fooling myself. And it gets really scary to then maybe be, I don't know, a supposed Christian after years of being around conviction and never changing anything. How scary is that? And we can very easily do that. So, 
That's a renewed perspective, right? Keeping the main thing, the main thing. So that's our three things. Follow his lead, give him time, renew perspective. So let's, um, let's stand and, and let's close in prayer. first and how he knew that they were going to stumble but he also knew that they're going to come back around again and I thank you Lord that you do that for us you know that sometimes we're going to stumble and fumble around but you also see that if we just stick to it and we remain faithful we'll come back around and I thank you that your grace covers us in the meantime So Lord, I ask that you would fill me and that you would uh, fill this body with courage and with steadfastness that we could just march forward in your name. I pray that we could be the kind of Christians that could see what you have before us and just march out and lead the way and just follow you. I thank you for the model that you put in place through Jesus. I thank you that you recorded it in Scripture for us so we could see it. And I pray that we would not be the type of people that could hear your voice, even be maybe convicted, and then not do anything with it. God, help us not to fool ourselves. So Lord, we thank you for this morning. We pray that today we could start to take steps towards revealing your will. Where you have us to go, what you have us to do. And we pray that you would give us an ability to better understand and know your voice. Help us to be a people that know your voice well. Sometimes it's very difficult and we can clutter it out or that time can be rushed, or whatever. Help us to be a people, Lord, who can hear your voice. And I just pray for the people here, God, that you just give them, that's that word courage again comes out, the courage to just respond to what you have. Help fear not to rule the day. We pray that our obedience and response to you, that would rule the day for us no matter how radical it might look. In Jesus' name, amen. So yeah, if you want some prayer, please stay.